Chapter 14 Your attention, please. Your attention, please. Alright, welcome to Chronically Narnia, the podcast in which my co-host and I discuss the Chronicles of Narnia chapter by chapter. Now, that's why you're here, but who are we? Well, I'm an old hag holding a torch, also known as Kristen, and this is my co-host... Possums, also known as Chris. Um... <laughs> <laughs> You didn't see that one coming, did you? I did, did you? not see that one coming. I, I once, um, my family once cat sat someone. Mm. They, they were going out of town for like six or eight weeks, and the people who normally watched their cat had gotten a cat in the meantime, and the cats weren't getting along. So for like six weeks, we were watching these friends of my parents' cat. Mm-hmm. The cat's name was Puddums. It was huh. the cat that was Puddums. That's a terrible cat name. I really liked Puddums. <laughs> she was a great cat. <sighs> I mean, she was a great dog. Like, she would come when you called her, and, like, she would follow the laser pointer, and you'd get her going so fast, like, you'd put the laser pointer on the wall, and she'd go straight up the wall, and she'd make it halfway to the ceiling. I'm sorry that you're allergic to these critters that you like so much. I know. I like cats. <laughs> I don't want to be allergic. Okay. I saw anyway. I saw a picture on the internet the other day of a of an old of lady a cat? of an old lady cat. Uh, it was a big fluffy gray cat, and her name was Smudge. Smudge. <laughs> Aww. that's I, a good name. And I thought that was a good name. Yeah. For, for a fluffy gray cat. Uh-huh. That is a good name. Anyway, this is a podcast where we don't talk about cats. Well, except in this chapter, we talk about a cat a lot. Yeah. Um, I mean... If that is what he really have is. the Tiger King. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk... We're, we're not going to talk about Tiger, Tiger King. King podcast. No, 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 no. All right. Anyway. That's had its day. That's so three <laughs> weeks ago. Uh-huh. Uh, so, this is The Triumph of the Witch, and this is a serious chapter because things happen and people die. Well. A lion dies. Yeah. Is Aslan people? Get at us on Twitter and, you know, <laughs> convince us one way or the other. Um, anyway, let's uh, <laughs> kick this off by reading our summary sentences. We got those ready to go. Would you like me to go first, Kristen? Sure, th- uh, sure thing. Go for it. Right. You do that. This one was a hard, one of the harder chapters in the book to summarize. I disagree completely. Be- I did it while reading, which I never do. Because I thought there was a lot of lines that could convey the points I wanted to about the chapter. But mm. this is what I came up with. Okay, so this one was difficult because you had options. Yes. Of course everyone was dying to ask him how he had arranged matters with the witch, but his face was stern, and everyone's ears were still ringing with the sound of his roar, and so nobody dared. Aslan's mood affected everyone that evening. It was as if the good times, having just begun, were already drawing to their end. And both the girls cried bitterly, though they hardly knew why, and clung to the lion, and kissed his mane, and his nose, and his paws, and his great sad eyes. At last, she drew near. Mm -hmm. You chose three sentences that I wrote down separately for discussion purposes, because they were things I wanted to talk about. We'll we'll get there. But did not want to include in my summary. Mm -hmm. So to clarify the summary for anyone who just jumps in right now for no reason whatsoever... (laughs) Um, chapter 14 let's go yeah yep, this is chapter a good... 14 this is the good one this mm-hmm. is the one that aslan dies in um let's do it in um in our efforts to kind of streamline the process of talking about the chapters we have a three to five sentence summary where we basically take five sentences pluck them out of the chapter and arrange them in order to try to retell the chapter story uh in less words you know editing yeah um so chris has given his here's mine on the far side of the camping ground 
just where the trees began. They saw the lion, slowly walking away from them into the wood. Forward they went again, and one of the girls walked on each side of the lion. The great, uh, <clears throat> a great crowd of people were standing all round the stone table, and though the moon was shining, many of them carried torches which burned with evil-looking red flames and black smoke. But he never moved. Then, just before she gave the blow, she stooped down and said in a quivering voice, and now, who has won? There you go. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, let's let's dig in here. There's not a lot that happens in this chapter. This chapter has one key event that is, you know, Aslan sacrificing himself, him being, you know, allowing himself to be captured. He dies. We don't see that in the chapter. It's heavily implied. Well, we the last sentence of the chapter is the children didn't see the actual moment of the killing. Yeah. And this is stated after there is one of those little narrator asides that says that he can't describe all of the terrible things that were present at the stone table. Ad adults wouldn't let you read this book. Or the grown-ups wouldn't let you read the book. Uh -huh. So, yeah. Um, so let's get into it. It's, it's a very somber chapter. It is. So they start by Aslan calling everyone to pack up camp and move. And he says that they need to leave the stone table because it will be wanted for other purposes. Now, for anyone who actually knows what the stone table is, this should tip Aslan's hand. Uh-huh. Because the stone table has thus far in this book been used as a meeting place but referenced as a sacrificial place where yes. where the witch kills traitors uh-huh and so it really doesn't make sense that aslan would call everyone to abandon the stone table mm -hmm. um at what is also known as aslan's how it hasn't been referenced to that in the book yet but that is what that location is referred to on the map uh -huh. Um, and so there's just, there's just a little bit of like how much of this mythology of the witch being the axe man for the great emperor across the sea, sea, how much of this mythology is actually known? Cause like the Mr. Badger. Wow. That's the <laughs> second time I've called him a badger. Mr. Beaver. Who's Mr. Badger? Is he in another book? Mr. Beaver <laughs> knows her that way and describes uh -huh. her that way. So like, I, I don't know. I just, I, I'm trying to figure out how Aslan could call them to leave the stone table without anyone knowing that someone's going to die. Or, like, that's kind of a, my first question in this chapter is, why does Aslan kind of do this fake-out thing where he's like, all right, I know I agree to be sacrificed here, but I'm going to tell everybody that we're going to move, we're going to go to this other camp, we're going to camp on the cliffs of whatever. Uh, for on, the, the, on the river. On go to the, the river. The fords. The fords yes. of Baruna. Yeah. Uh, the fords of Baruna. And we're going to go there, and we're going to hang out, and except I'm going to be there for like three hours, and then I'm going to get up in the middle of the night well, and wander over back. Well, he can't tell them, otherwise people are going to fight him and be like, no, you can't. Except and he's the king. He can just be like, hey, I got business here that I need to stay and take care of. You guys go on ahead of me. I'm going to hang out. Like, that's all he has to say. Like, why does he go through the charade of going Because otherwise the two girls won't come with him back and watch <laughs> him die. Because we need to traumatize two children. Uh-huh. Also... We have this moment, and it's, uh, I think it's one that you used. It's sentence number three in the chapter. Of course, everyone was dying to ask him how he had arranged matters with the witch. Mm -hmm. But his face was stern, and everyone's ears were still ringing with the sound of his roar, and so nobody dared. He is ruling by fear of conflict and fear of emotion yeah i mean and i know this is a british thing like this no emotion and don't talk about it stiff and, upper lip yeah but it's also like they've gotten the kids don't know aslan they've Correct. spent one day with him mm -hmm. and so they just had this moment where we have no idea what Aslan said to Edmund, but he's had a private moment away. Mm -hmm. And 
there's something going on here and nobody wants to talk to Aslan. Everyone's afraid to approach him, you know, because you should be afraid of Aslan. Fear your rulers, kids. This is a... Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Don't, you know, don't get locked in a wardrobe. Don't forget to wipe your sword. Fear the people that are in charge of you. Yeah, especially if your ears are still ringing with the sound of the roar. Uh Uh-huh. Um... But yeah, like, I don't know. that I just wrote down next to that on the side of the book, fear. And it was sentence three of the chapter. And it's a chapter that I know has this intense moment in the end. Uh-huh. But like, the girls are all tore up and crying and stuff. And it's like, it just, anyway. But yeah, no, he goes off with them. And I agree that he could have just said, I'll meet you there. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's something about how excited all of these people are to have Aslan present mm-hmm. that it would not be right for him to just send them away. Yeah. But also, and I'm going to play both sides at the same time, <laughs> you also have Aslan's mood just defeating everybody. Yeah, he, he's he's a real downer in this chapter. Yeah, and he's it, like... Aslan's mood affected everyone that evening. So everyone is feeling just the weight of Aslan being sad. And he also says, when Peter asks him, like, hey, aren't you going to be there for this battle that you're giving me all this advice about? Because he's Aslan's walking with Peter, giving him battle advice on how to defeat the witch. And Peter's just like, um, yeah, no, you're going to do that, right? Mm-hmm. And Aslan says... I can give you no promise of that. Yep. Like, geez. Mm. I mean, at least he taught him to clean his sword, right? <laughs> like, nothing wrong can happen now. Yeah. So, before we get into plot, like, in discussions of, you know, another discussion of Aslan's foreknowledge and what exactly he knows and, you know, what how much of this is his plan, let's talk about Aslan as a character for a second. Who? Beca- <laughs> So we have, this is the third chapter Aslan is in. We have two chapters of Aslan where he shows up, he hangs out with a bunch of his posse, he's got a retainer of, of you know, powerful people that surround him, mm-hmm. and he's just kind of this guy that's there that people respect because they respect him, which is kind of a tautology, but whatever. Um, and he doesn't really do a lot. He, he has another moment where he roars at the witch. He has a private conversation that we don't know about. Then he roars and scares her away. And then in this chapter, he is sad, and then he dies. Like, yep. in the three chapters we've had Aslan, and there's only three chapters left in this book, mind you, so the ha- half of the Aslan plot here. Yep, he, he has he, been moody and controlling and aggressive and dead. Yeah, and... <laughs> I was I was talking to Kristen before the podcast uh, about this earlier because sometimes we discuss what we're going to talk about before we go on. It's crazy. I know this show does not sound like it has a script at all, and it doesn't. But sometimes... <laughs> sometimes we have a plan. Sometimes we have a plan. And I brought this thing up where in writing, you are, as whenever possible, you are supposed to show and not tell. You're supposed to demonstrate things, and it's really bad form in writing to just say, oh... This happens Aslan because of this. was terrible and, and great and... Yeah. Yeah. His mood affected everyone. That is like the worst offender <sighs> to have it just be like, his mood affected everyone. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, no, there's so many ways you could show that. Yeah. And... Like, someone approached him and asked what color flag we should fly and he said gray. Like, <laughs> even that would be better about showing instead of telling. Yeah, and in these three chapters, we've done a lot of telling about what Aslan is, and like even prior to that, we have the beavers talking about who he is and why he's great and, you know, how he's going to come and change everything, and we have a lot of telling in these chapters about how the witch is afraid of him and how, you know, all these creatures that are siding with her uh, fear him even when he's surrendering himself, and they talk about all how his, his, you know, crew and his, you know, inner circle respects him and he is this great leader. We don't see any of it. Mm-hmm. We don't Absolutely. see him do anything other than roar and scare the witch away this one time. Yep. And then he sacrifices himself at the end of this chapter. We see him do that. We'll get into that. But before this moment, we don't have him uh, demonstrating uh, his worthiness of respect other than characters just saying, oh, yeah, he's the king because reasons. Yep. 
Yeah, no, I feel like the first time that I ever read this, I definitely did not see Aslan's character as, like, worth all of the emotion and everything. Like, I was still hesitant as to whether or not I believed he was a good guy mm-hmm. up until he raises from the dead. <laughs> like, uh-huh. basically. A lot of people felt that way about Jesus, too. Uh- <laughs> but then I also have the experience of seeing of reading that book after seeing the BBC film so I knew he was a good guy but like reading it so I guess I don't know like just the way that the book presents him we have hearsay on whether or not anybody here is a good guy or a bad guy except for Edmund is the only person in all of this story that has seen the witch do something harsh and bad and stonify the party goers yeah and that's it like and and yell at him and refuse him food and give him dried bread yeah he's he's got all the knowledge here um so we let's let's talk a little bit about battle plans (laughs) so i guess we're supposed to take edmund's going along with aslan after this secret talk that we don't know anything about to be the only like that's really the only confirmation we have that says all right aslan aslan is okay um where's edmund in this chapter i'm just getting more and more frustrated the more i think about (laughs) how aslan's character is portrayed i'm sorry um he's sleeping with peter like the they're back at the camp it's just lucy and susan who follow him yes but we have we have peter walking along and having a conversation with aslan oh yeah nobody have... cares about edmund remember that's how we got into this mess <laughs> yeah just edmund doesn't even get mentioned here which i think is interesting because yep. he's you know the reason this is all happening true he is the he's the backbone of this storyline and he's just not there yeah when they're walking peter's talking for the last part of the journey, Susan and Lucy, who saw most, uh, yeah, nothing, no mention of Edmund in this whole chapter. Yeah, uh, so that's a thing. In the whole chapter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. His I'm name does upset. not come up. <laughs> He's just off doing whatever. I mean, at least Lucy's here. I was afraid Lucy was in danger of, you know, not being a character anymore. No, but that would have been Susan. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, let's... Do we do we want to talk about any of these battle plans that the Aslan goes over with Peter? I mean, he's... Wow, sorry. I mean, he's <laughs> discussing with Peter that as soon as this whole thing is over, she will probably rush back to her castle and prepare for siege. But, but maybe not. But that doesn't make any sense because Aslan knows that as soon as Aslan is dead... Mm-hmm. The witch is just going to come after them and attack Caraparavel or attack them there wherever they are. Yeah. And so, like, yeah, when Edmund suggests that they cross the fjord and the ford and stay on the other side of the river. Peter, not Edmund. Whoever. The one that's in the chapter. Yeah. When Peter suggests <laughs> that they cross the river and stay on the other side of the ford because the witch might come and attack them in the night. Aslan is just like, no, that won't happen. But, you know, that's good that's idea. good soldier thinking. <laughs> like, it just, I, I, <laughs> you should have just made camp across the river and told him that it was good. Like, uh, I, mean, I would like to just read this line, uh, this couple lines straight out of the book uh, you, that you just mentioned. He mentions this idea and Aslan's just like, all the same, it was well thought of. That's how a soldier ought to think. But it doesn't really matter. Aslan's just this like sad sack. But in the uh, end, uh-huh. it doesn't even matter. And and we while, came so far. Yeah. So while we're here, um, we're walking with Aslan to his death. So since Aslan's Jesus, right? Um, I was mm-hmm. told that by somebody. This is very much his Garden of Gethsemane moment. Yep. Where he knows he's about to die and is dealing with that. Uh, I feel like it's different and there's a there's a different take on it here because in this in this moment Aslan is just like, Yeah, I'm gonna talk to the devil and be like, Yep, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna talk to the witch and agree to this. Where I mean in, in the Jesus narrative he doesn't really agree. I mean to that's being the crucified. take this cup from me yeah. moment, but if it's your will Yeah. 
And so, no, like, Jesus does agree to be a part of this narrative. Which is a completely different discussion and a theological thing we won't get into. But it's a thing I've had several long conversations about uh, as to whether the atonement that Jesus brings within Christianity had to be accomplished by him dying on the cross. And if there was not another way, it could have gone down. Mm-hmm. And that's a thing I've I've so talked you, at length about, but that's kind of not the point here. I but, mean, that's not the point here. Um, <laughs> this is talking about the deep magic. Mm-hmm. And as the next chapter's gonna, title is going to spoil, there's deeper magic from, from before, before the dawn of time. Yeah, that chapter title I forgot about. That was... Yeah. It's... Uh, that's clever. <laughs> but, um, so here within this context, we there is some deeper magic that Aslan is appealing to. Uh-huh. But even Aslan doesn't seem to fully understand or know mm-hmm. because he's saying, like, things like, I might be there. I can't make any promise of that, you know? And Yeah, so he doesn't well, know he's, he's going to get... He's mourning and he's... We weary and when he when the girls come to him and he you know realizes that they're following him mm-hmm. he s- says that it would be good to have the company yeah so i mean that's that's kind of my issue with it kind of touching on the theology and the parallels between the aslan story and the jesus story i feel like when we're talking about jesus like he has this moment in gethsemane where he is suffering and you know he's very much uh you know stressed about this like the whole sweating blood thing and he's like praying to have this taken from him all night and he's like he's not happy about the situation anyway and he's terrified Mm -hmm. which is rightfully so and that's kind of an illustration of the fully uh human side of jesus where you know jesus as god doesn't have a reason to be afraid of death. So when did this become a theology podcast? Because I, I, I know we you hate the about... theology discussion. I am drawing a parallel between moments here. Okay. Okay. So Jesus as God has no reason to fear death here. Jesus as man obviously does, and this is reflecting his nature as a human. In this moment, we have Aslan being super, super, super sad and upset, and I don't know if that's justified. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to get to. Well, is because in, within this within this book, within The Lion, the Lich, Witch, and the Wardrobe. The, li- no, the Lion, the Lich, and the Wardrobe is a very different book. We'll no, <laughs> no theology, no biblical discussion. This book. Uh-huh. Yes, Aslan has every right to be sad because he just agreed to die in Edmund's place. Mm-hmm. So he is literally walking to his death. Yeah, I mean. And he is, he is leaving the well-being of his subjects in the hands of a maybe 17-year-old boy. Well, that's scary. Yes. So, like, yeah, of course. And he's not telling anyone because they're all going to come after him and be like, no, don't do it. But, like, yeah, this is absolutely justified mourning on his part. Yeah. I'm just going... How dare you? I know. With <laughs> Within the confines, exclusively within this book, yes, I agree with you. That's another thing that I'm looking at, like, through the lens of having read Magician's Nephew first where we have Aslan presented in that. And if you're reading him in chronological order, like we did, you have him being presented here. He creates Narnia. He is this celestial being, may or may not be capital G God, that he has. He is immortal and has all this cosmic power and et cetera, et cetera. And he is certain beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is this other place beyond the sea that, you know, well, the one goes... Uh, so the sea. not 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 that one goes there. I, I no that I mean at this point no mythology of a heaven has been established at all. Yeah, there is just an emperor beyond the sea. Yeah, that's it. Okay, that's the only mythology that's been developed here. Yeah, I'm just I'm just saying that it they he he could have faced this differently. Is I mean he cool. can. He can <laughs> Can we move on now? Yes, I'm just trying to stretch this out. We're cutting out one of our segments from this show, so I'm trying Don't to... Don't spoil it. Uh, people are turning off right now as we speak. All right, anyway, so we have We're not going to rate the chapter. So we have... <laughs> people are turning back in somehow. They knew that we said that, and they're back on, because this is a radio broadcast. Okay, so we have... 
Anyway, so we have pages where they walk with him, they, you know... Talk with him. Talk with him. They pet his mane. I, I did want to pause here apropos of nothing else in the chapter and just say this line completely out of context that I liked in the chapter. Very quietly, the two girls groped their way among the other sleepers and crept out of the tent. Is that I what that said? <laughs> yes. I, I, I skimmed that sentence. Yep. <laughs> Interesting. And I was like... That's a fun sentence. All right. Just to throw in there in the middle. But, but anyway, uh, the girls go along with him on this journey. They talk to him. He doesn't really tell them anything. They kind of, they try he to get... He just says it would be nice to have some company. It would be nice to have some company. They start crying. They don't know why. That's true. Uh, and they cried bitterly. And They're just so overwhelmed by the grief of Aslan. Kiss them all over, and you know all this grief, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And we come to—I don't know—I'm just barreling through this. Is there something you want to talk about? No, I want you to give us definitions of the long list of creatures <laughs> that are there. So can you just get us to the stone table already? Yes, we we come up to the stone table, and the stone table is surrounded by all these critters. And we have another list of mythological creatures. We've had two of these already. We have a third one now. Three. That some of them have been mentioned before. Like the cruel. Uh, like the bullheaded men, the poisonous plants and evil tree spirits, the the cruels, hags, incubuses, wraiths, uh, all pretty straightforward. Horrors, we don't know what that is. Could be anything. Uh, ifrits, which are kind of tree spirits. Also, uh, sprites, which are forest or, you know, nature spirits. Orkneys, uh, which I remember from my research correctly orkneys are kind of like a hobgoblin or some sort of like trickster critter like they're little they're little guys that are like not elves but like little goblins or orcs or something like that uh wooses wooses i did not look up so we're gonna pause here and i'll tell you what a woos is so what's a wooster so wooses are a thing that I looked up, which apparently are another thing like cruels, which don't exist outside the Narnia books, and it's a thing that doesn't have a description. However, we can look and we do see artwork that I don't know where it came from. It looks like some sort of medieval artwork uh, on the wiki of a man fighting a woos. And I'll show that to you. We can post this image up on the Instagram. What is that? I... <laughs> it's like... A hairy man. Yeah. It's like big, hairy, Sasquatch-looking thing. Okay. So that's the woos, apparently. Who knew? All right. But that's, uh, yeah. This is, yeah, this is very much not, I have no idea. Anyway, so all of these creatures, do you have any more to share on the rest of them? There's... Uh, I mean, no, we, we kind of covered everything in the other chapter where we had the, the list of mythological creatures. We have the Ettons, which are, you know, basically uh, Norse giants. Uh, there's It pulls from a lot of different mythology here. That's Did the, that one used to be something else, too? No, they didn't change that one. That's one of the, the references to, uh, to Norse mythology that we did not uh, I see. Not change removed. in here. Uh, and yeah, we kind of cover everything else, but a lot of these evil creatures and... We've established that the witch has been in power for like a hundred years. That's uh -huh. kind of where we're at. Before that, what were all these things doing? Yeah. Like, that's there's all these creatures, and like, we're assuming there's not just one of each of these things. There's like entire races of these creatures that are out and about in Narnia. Doing, boot. doing what? What? Like, how did the witch gather them all? How did, how did she convince she all of these critters to help her in, in her conquest? Like, I don't know. I just don't know. I do not know. Uh, um, that is a good question. Yeah. So I just want to... Just that we should discuss on a podcast about this book. Yep. Oh, wait. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so anyway, uh, we come to the stone table. Um, and the witch, I guess, doesn't expect him to come. Like, I guess even though they made this deal, she is surprised that he's here. Because she's like, oh, the fool, the fool has come. Yep. And it's just like seems like she didn't expect him to actually follow through on this deal, even though the deep magic says he has to or something. Like he's bound to do this. 
I mean, he somehow even after their discussion, mm-hmm. she challenged him in front of everyone. How do I know you'll keep your word? Uh-huh. And he roared at her. Yeah. So I mean, she already was questioning him in the moment of the agreement. Uh huh. And so she left that conversation with him just roaring at her, basically telling her to go away. Yeah, would have been a really awkward moment if she gathered all the, you know, the hags and the wraiths and the cruels and everything and he didn't show up. And she was just like, "Um, well, nice of you all to come. Uh, But they did camp on this side of the river so we can go get them. Yeah. Um, And then there's... um, very, very much a, a back and forth because we see Aslan having all of these things happen to him mm-hmm. where they grab him, they bind him, bind all of his legs together, they shave him, they tie him down. But for each one of these things, we have the girls objecting to what is happening by saying this one swipe of his paw could have knocked any of them down. When they tie his paws together, and then when they muzzle him, Except they the girls say they you know they're 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 saying like just one bite from his mouth could have taken off four of their hands. I don't think it's the girls saying that; it's the narrator. I don't. This I think narration. It, I think that it's the girls' perspective, but um, but if it is the narrator, you also have this. I mean, if it's the girls it's just a, like a perspective that shows how much like respect for his authority and majesty and power just being a lion that they have uh-huh but if it's the narrator then he's kind of trying to get us to see the majesty that he knows he hasn't portrayed Aslan as having mm-hmm. i think but either way it's, this is all trying to build up Aslan in that way that we don't see him yet as a reader we haven't gotten to meet Aslan as the the vicious lion <laughs> that could swipe one down with its paw or again, bite off four of their hands in one go yeah again we're telling and not showing yeah um so why do they shave him? Is it just a humiliation thing? Is yeah. there something deeper to this? Or is it just like, oh, hey, let's make fun of this dude while we got him here. Let's, you know, humiliate him first and take his beard. Well, the um, the golden mane on the lion is very much an anal- uh, analogous to a crown. And so this is very okay. much the queen, the witch stripping Aslan of his royal crown, Mm -hmm. taking his crown off and mocking him. Mm -hmm. And even then just, just to reduce him in size and show him to appear more feline and less authoritative. And then uh, later she is going to use his mane and create for herself basically a headdress out of it mm-hmm. so it is very much her taking on that <clears throat> crown image and perverting it a mantle if you were yes so there you go uh we shave him we make fun of him you know puss puss poor pussy how many co- how many mice have you caught today would you like a saucer of milk pussums which is the best line in this this paragraph <laughs> Uh, and, you know, just shows that all of these horrible, like, hell-spawned demonic creatures are real bad at insults. Yeah. Like, they, they obviously didn't... It's a didn't... children's book. <laughs> it's a children's they, book, Chris. They, they didn't have a lot of time to practice this. Well, they it's... didn't think he was going to show up, so... They they're just like, what do you, what do you got? Um, I, I don't know, let's ask him about how many mice he's caught, I guess. <laughs> okay, um, so they strap him down, they tie him up. They, with great difficulty, heft him onto the stone table. Like, even though these are all, like, nightmare creatures with tremendous, you know, evil and strength. It takes a bunch of them to lift him up there, and they struggle with it. So, big ol' lion. Uh, and they, he is bound, he gets lifted up, but on the table, there's the, a little gloating. The, we have the, the witch giving a villain monologue. Yeah, a little one. <clears throat> She basically says, you were really a fool to think that you could come here and actually, like, stop me. Yeah, so... You have you have left them defenseless, essentially, and I'm still gonna go kill them. So, which I read, and I was like, I see this as a plot hole. Is this a plot hole? What do you, what do you mean? Because 
Aslan is, is, you know, powerful and wise, and he's the ruler of these lands for a reason, and yet it does seem like a really dumb thing for him to do. Like, if once he dies, there is nothing stopping her from going and killing the kids. Except for Peter, who now knows to clean his sword. So he's going to totally yeah. defend everybody. So, Don't, what are you talking so about a, leaving them defenseless? So there's a, there's he a, taught Peter how to defend them. Uh-huh. So there's a 15-year-old <laughs> and, you know, a couple of younger children who have weapons. And they are and the authority. And then the, there's the a bunch of, of wise army. centaurs and whoever ran after the wolf and trapped them down. Uh-huh. I just... It, it seems to open up possibilities that we don't have answers for. Yes, but she... Aslan is trusting <laughs> the deeper magic from before the dark time. Uh-huh. So... Does he go into this knowing that he's going to come back? Don't you, know. What do we think? Don't know. He goes into this knowing that he is going to... Spoilers! He knows that the the stone table will be broken. Because mm-hmm. he knows the deeper magic. So he knows regardless of whether or not he comes back. Because he even says to Peter he can't promise that he'll be there for the battle. Uh-huh. Um, and... With that said, if he had promised to be there and then disappeared, yeah. like, that would have broken a lot of people's trust in him. Yeah. Um. But anyway, and, and, you know, then come back later into the fight and they would have been like, you were late. And he'd be like, a wizard is never late. <laughs> um. But I don't know. I mean, I think that a big part of it is that he's not following his own playbook essentially like he's following someone else's plan mm-hmm. and i don't know i don't know if he knows we'll find out in the next chapter we will uh would like to point out really quick here that the scene uh in this chapter where everybody gets real sad and the girls like kiss him and hug him and are like all up in aslan's business being crying for no reason that is the scene that is depicted on the cover of the book Yep, that on your cover of the book, that and, is. And on my box set art. Yes. So that that is that is what this, this is. This is the crux moment when they are crying into his mane. Yep. Um, also, it's not going to be the first time someone cries into Aslan's mane, I think. I don't remember for sure. Would not surprise me. Uh, so Aslan gets killed here. So let's, because I'm trying to, to throw a little bit more discussion into this, and you brought it up with your wizard is never later early quote, let's let's draw some comparisons here with another literary character and say Aslan versus Gandalf. As um, far as messiah figures? Uh-huh. As far as messiah figures who show up and don't do a whole lot. Um, True. Because I feel like this is more, more of an apt comparison than to Jesus. Jesus does a lot of stuff. Like, yeah. Gospels are packed full of stories of him doing stuff. Uh, whereas in the story, this story and in Lord of the Rings, Gandalf just gets just kind of there a lot. Yeah. And he doesn't really do a whole lot. Like, in the foreground, like, I guess he does some behind-the-scenes nonsense. Then, yeah, I mean, we know he does some behind-the-scenes nonsense. He fights Balrog. That's pretty cool. Um, and but, falls. And you know falls falls for like four days which doesn't make sense with physics but um <laughs> yeah look throw me some throw me something there because i think this is a more direct comparison i mean i think that it's a an archetype uh-huh. i think that this like authority figure like in in the lord of the rings gandalf is the one who summons to the journey uh-huh so he is an instigator an initiator he is a uh, creator for this landscape of adventure Mm -hmm. in the same way that aslan is the one who calls people to narnia he Uh is the one who created and spoke out narnia and he created this world where this adventure would take place Uh and does not do much else but has a great deal of power and authority and respect due to their position and role Mm-hmm. But also is much happier to see other people flex their abilities uh-huh. and to draw out of other people what needs to happen as opposed to doing it all themselves. Uh-huh. Um, so within that kind of thing, I think that there it's a good parallel um, because they're two characters that are built in this kind of specific archetype. 
Yeah. Um, and they both do sacrifice themselves for the party, and they both do come back. Uh-huh. So I, yeah, I mean, I'd say that's a much better parallel. Um, I'm just trying to think of other examples. You know, Gandalf's Jesus, right? <laughs> I was trying to think of other examples of this uh, this archetype appearing. I would say probably in the original Star Wars trilogy, Obi-Wan is yeah. uh, this kind of character. Yep. Um, Absolutely. Are you trying to think of other literary I, I'm trying to Yeah, I'm trying to think of, of, of others and, you know, the other characters that exemplify this kind of situation. Like quiet power. Yeah, quiet power. That's a good way of describing it. This is why I keep you around. Um, <laughs> that's why you don't it, come in yeah. here and set up the recording equipment yeah. by yourself you know with you and that english degree you're coming up with these ideas these yeah. powerful ideas yeah um uh, yeah you got the english degree anything you anything else you can think of as far as examples of this or i mean really i can't think of any other specific examples at this exact moment but we've thought of some of the more famous ones mm-hmm. and it is really an archetype it's a structure and it is used uh a lot and can has to be used very carefully to not create plot holes like Uh it it has to be used very carefully which i think is why it doesn't get used more yeah and i think that it is very much like kind of the product of a lot of people being like this is such such much plot holes yeah um like why didn't the eagles just fly everybody to mordor yeah (laughs) um but yeah, anyway, that kind of thing. So no, I didn't really have any other thoughts on that specifically. Did you have any other uh, thoughts on the chapter? I think I've I think I've touched on everything I wanted to touch on. Uh, not really. We can just jump into my final thoughts in the reviewing segment. Uh, we are skipping. For the purposes of this chapter, we are skipping the rewrite section. Usually, we would take another five sentences, pluck them out of the chapter, and then. Um, write a new story out of them as best we can um when i tried to do this i felt um disrespectful (laughs) i don't know i i I can't define it in any other terms but in a chapter that is literally just someone's march to his death (laughs) i really couldn't rewrite this story in a way that felt like and, like, everything that I tried to rewrite was all about people being afraid of Aslan, the cruels and the, and the good, and, like, and the kids when he had roared and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I had a bunch of sentences that I started to write down and just stopped because it just didn't feel right to me to write it in that way. Yeah. But it did reveal to me that emphasis on fear, which I brought up already in the chapter. And my goal with rewriting the chapters is to find another perspective on things and maybe read something new into the chapter that is there that I didn't see before. Uh And definitely like trying to do a rewrite showed me a lot more this fear complex that everyone has surrounding Aslan, which is very much uh, informed in that silent power. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's, and my decision to not do that, Chris, um, followed suit because his were all just dirty. Uh, yeah, that's for, uh, Chronically Narnia After Dark, our, join our Patreon to get some of that. Uh, <laughs> we haven't started that yet. Eventually we will. Um, so yeah, let's just go ahead and jump right into the review portion where we look at the chapter as a whole and we rate it on a one to five star system based on how well it did as a little, you know, growing chapter and did it did it's it grow up to chapter that could little, cha- little chapter that could uh so what is the rating system that we're using this time uh walking companions walking companions all right uh i was gonna say like is this just a susan and lucy or is this like a fellowship <laughs> yeah uh the fellowship of the stone table this chapter is from one to nine rating system <laughs> I was going to say saucers of milk, but saucers of milk. You ta- could do saucers while we're of milk. Talking about being disrespectful. Wow. Um, anyway, uh, walking companions. This chapter is consistent. I mean, more so than any other chapter that I've read in the book, I believe it has a consistent feel and a theme, and it effectively creates a mood that it's trying to create. 
It, yeah, I know. I definitely um, agree with that, but it does that by telling could, and not yeah, showing. Couldn't have done that better. Absolutely. Do I have to keep in mind that this is a children's book? Yes. And this is maybe the one caveat to that rule because, like, children aren't really observant and you can't do a lot of showing and not telling because they won't pick up on things. I disagree. I absolutely <laughs> disagree. Um, 100% disagree. Yes. No, I disagree. Children observe human behavior and make judgments about humans all the time that they Mm -hmm. interact with. And they will be uncomfortable around people or they will trust people implicitly because of the behavior of other people. Yes. And and behavior and people, yeah, I agree with that. But do you think children can get literary metaphor? Yes, I do. Okay. Uh, Maybe not... (laughs) on like the topic of mental health but definitely on <laughs> themes like this yeah they, right. it may take more time and explanation uh-huh. and and repeated imagery and things like that but i think that children can definitely see literary imagery as a, a thing yeah um so i'm wrong i don't know anything about children i fully admit that i know uh, <laughs> don't don't say that you're wrong but I disagree. That's, that's all. That's my take. And I'm, I'm trying to throw this chapter a bone in saying it is a children's book and it does have more reign to do that than, like, this story written for adults would. Yes. Uh, like, we're almost to the end of it. I'll give my final book review in our long episode with Nathan in a couple weeks here. Woo. I I will say, reading it as an adult, this book kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah. I won't... <laughs> I don't disagree. It's just, that's good. And like, I'm not, that's not an anti-children's literature thing. Like there are kids books I can read now and say that's done really well. Yeah, absolutely. Like most of, I mean, I would say all of the Harry Potter books with varying degrees of effectiveness, but you can read them now and say, this is a good story. Yeah. Like this is presented well. The imagery is really good. Like it fully fleshes out the world. Like Harry Potter does this really, really well. Uh, this doesn't this chapter though it's <laughs> this doesn't um but maybe i'll change my opinion we have a lot more books in the series to read i've never read the entire thing front to back and when we finish it maybe uh, my opinion will be different maybe um probably this, not <laughs> but yeah at this point it's a simple chapter one thing happens they convey it well Eh. we'll go three and a half walking companions there you go. I'm gonna, but I'm gonna say our walking companions are. Who's the half? No, the half's got to be Gimli, I guess. Um, maybe Pip. Rude. Maybe Pippin. Rude. Like, it's like Frodo and Rude. Fre- They're full companions. Uh-huh. Don't even stop it. All right. Uh, so there you go. Three and a half. Cool. Final thoughts. Go. Um. Final thoughts. I. This chapter, I think, does the showing and telling issues uh, many, many times in many, many ways. So from just a straight literary um, perspective, I would rate it very low and say that it doesn't really have much. I would give it, you know, a freshly cut, a freshly sharpened set of shears. Um, (laughs) But it does convey a mood and an archetype and it leans heavily on those things. But it does create feeling. Like, it it created enough feeling in me for me to not want to disrespect the chapter by rewriting it. Uh-huh. So, I mean, part of that's just me. But also, like, the, and the way that I engage with things. But I don't, I, I, I don't feel like it balances out. Like, I would uh-huh. not rate it as high as you did. So... Oh. So maybe some dull shears. <laughs> All right. Um, a saucer of sour milk. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's our podcast. Uh, join us next week. We're going to be doing a deeper magic maybe from... not sour milk, just milk that expired yesterday. <laughs> deeper magic. Maybe buttermilk. Because yeah, it's like perfectly good buttermilk, still gross to drink. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Deeper magic from before the dawn of time, and this chapter had better blow chapter 13 out of the water, is all I'm saying here. We just read chapter 14. 
chapter 13 was deep magic from the dawn of time oh i'm sorry yep. i see yeah i see i, I see what to, you're saying i want it to be deeper i want it to be wider i want it to be happier with its mouth open <laughs> um and you want to go ahead and take us out before I keep going? Sure thing. <laughs> All right. So you can follow us at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, where you can send us your uh, platters of sour milk uh, fan art. <laughs> uh, or you can uh, follow us uh, on Twitter at Chronically Pod. You can email us at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com. Um, Chris, do you have another impression of my animal impersonations to offer today? The only one I really know of is the elephant. Like, I haven't gotten you to impersonate. And you created such a big stink about it, and there's just the one. I I, I tried really (laughs) hard to think of another animal impression that that you do, and I can't. All right. So, Um, (laughs) feel free to reach out to us on those various social medias. This is Kristen's impression of a tapir. Yeah, that was great. All right, go ahead. And... What's a tapir? You know, the little the guys they have little snouts like they're tiny little. Uh, they. I'll show you a picture of one. Why don't you've, you you've give seen me one. your impression of one? And we'll. <laughs> the, the, the joke is that I'm pretty sure they don't make noise. Um, okay, I see that. Okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> I got the joke. I'm just I don't know what the critter is. <laughs> anyway, um. Thank you for joining us. Don't close yourself in any wardrobes. And also... Don't forget to wipe your sword. See ya. And this is my co-host... Possums. Across the fjord and the ford and mm-hmm. and as the next chapter is gonna title is gonna spoil you know the next chapter's title as the next chapter's <laughs> title is gonna spoil there's deeper magic from, from before, before the dawn of time yeah. within the lion the lich witch in the wardrobe the li- no the lion the lich in the wardrobe is a very different book Aslan. I don't know where Peter goes off to. Peter went to bed with Edmund and literally everyone else in the camp. Yeah. Aslan's mood affected everyone that evening. You're (laughs) you're so you're 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 picking a fight right now. That's what you're doing. I am. It's been a day. Uh huh. Has it? Yeah. Because it's been a good day for me. It's been my day off. I'm really tired and sore. Uh huh. I briefly want to return to this discussion of... Why are they in Narnia?